Well, hello and welcome everybody here live at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. I'm Father Chris Alar. It's an, always a joy to be with you as this week we bring you a very important topic that you saw on the slide about penances. What are they? So misunderstood, hardly ever done now, and yet needed for our salvation. And so we're going to talk about Ash Wednesday, fasting, almsgiving, uh, penances in general, what we need to do, what we need to know. This is a beautiful course I had in seminary that was taught uh, basically by Father Dennis of St. John Cantius, and he gave us so much enlightenment on what Lent is, why we celebrate it, and what Ash Wednesday means. So today we go back to seminary so that you can have a great Lent. I know that sounds weird. Usually it's all gloomy. No, there's a lot of so much good there. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit down upon us so that we may open our hearts to understand this gift you give us in prayer, fasting, almsgiving, that we may have a good Ash Wednesday, a good Lent, and purify ourselves to be ready to enter into your glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so most of you know Lent starts next week already. So it's coming. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. But what's interesting is more people go to church on Ash Wednesday than they do regular Sunday. Actually, Ash Wednesday is not a holy day of obligation, but every Sunday is. So people will go out of their way to get to Ash Wednesday, which is good. But then they won't even go to Mass on Sunday, which is not good. So we need to get prepared. And so we're going to talk about this. Now, Lent coming up. Ash Wednesday, as you all know, begins Lent. And Lent is a preparation, obviously, for Easter, but they're their own season. Lent is a season, Easter is a season, but do you know there's a season in between called the Triduum? Those three days are a whole season, all, of to, all, all by themselves. And today we're going to be talking about that first one, Lent. All right, <clears throat> Lent, as you know, starts on Ash Wednesday, but when does it end? It actually goes right up to Thursday evening of the Lord's Supper, okay? Holy Thursday, where we celebrate the Last Supper, the Lord's Passion, right? Um, or excuse me, the Lord's Supper. So you see here, Lent actually goes right up until then on Holy Thursday. Now Lent, you may not know, comes from the English, the old English word spring. And it also is a derivative of the Latin word for 40 days. Now, we all know the 40 days, but we're going to tell you more about that. So, are Sundays included in Lent? This is really a big confusion. Technically, Sundays are in the season of Lent. But that makes Lent not 40 days. It makes it 46 days. Lent is actually 46 days. There's 40 days of fasting and six Sundays of non-fasting, right? So... <clears throat> or I should say uh, the traditional form. We are not required to fast every day in Lent today, but traditionally it's 40 days of fast. Now, 
how do they develop this? Okay. So um, the Sundays are, in this, as I said, the season of Lent, but not as part of the fast. We don't fast on Sundays, even in Lent. Now, sometimes people say, well, Father, does that mean on Sundays I can use or do whatever I gave up? So let's suppose you gave up soda and you gave it up for Lent. Does that mean you can have it on Sundays? Some people like to go all the way through Lent, not at all having it. God bless you. <clears throat> but if you do enjoy it on a Sunday, you're not under the penalty of sin. In fact, I shouldn't tell you this, but even if you do have your soda during any day in Lent, it's also not under the penalty of sin. To give something up for Lent is not obligatory. It's not mandatory. It's tradition. And we suggest that you do that, though, and we'll tell you why coming up. Okay, now, so this is very, very good stuff. Now, let's look at our next slide. Why is the number 40 significant? All right, the number 40 is significant in the Bible because 40 is a traditional number. You all know this. That re refers to discipline or preparation or devotion to God. All right, 40 is used in the Bible as a round number. It just really means a long time. So if somebody, the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, they meant a long time. We, we read the Bible there in that sense, right? Now, 40 is very important in the Bible. What was Noah's Ark? 40 days of rain, right? How long was Moses in Egypt? Not in the desert. How long was Moses in, the, in Egypt? 40 years. Then how long were the Jews in the desert? 40 years. How many days was Moses on Mount Sinai? 40 days. Uh, how long did Noah, or excuse me, uh, Jonah preach in Nineveh? 40 days. How many days did Jesus fast in the desert? 40 days. Okay, so you get the point here. It was used to give a complete number, a complete period of time, rather than just saying many. You know, the Israelites were in the desert many years. Jesus fasted many days. 40 is the word used for that. Now, when used, it is something extraordinary in the Bible. 40, whenever you see 40, it means the Bible is telling you, I'm about, we are about to tell you something extraordinary, something very important. So Lent brings this both together. The 40 days, the significance of 40, and the fast that has been tradition in the church. But here's the point. Why do we need penances? All right. If you are not, and I guarantee you, this is the number one thing we Catholics lack. We see the value of the works of mercy. We see the value of the sacraments. We see the value of, of, of being good. This is all true. I see it, but I'm telling you right now, if you listen to Mary at Fatima, she said what is needed is prayer and penance. Prayer and penance. Where we are lacking is in the penance. I see prayer a lot, praise be to God. But I see very, very few people doing penance. We always like to talk about, oh, we, emails come out. Oh, we need a day, a day of prayer and fasting for the Ukraine. All right, how many people are actually doing it? All right, how many people are actually doing it? Not many. 
And this is what Mary said was so important. So let's go to our next slide, penance. Look at your slide right there. Penance is the penalty one imposes upon oneself for one's crimes. It's like to tie your own self in your own handcuffs. <laughs> wow, that's a good expression. All right, now, non-Catholics. Now, we got to explain this really quick because this is the biggest complaint we hear from non-Catholics. They say that purgatory cannot exist because that would mean Christ didn't do something. In other words, Christ paid all our debt on the cross. Yes, this is true. Well, then they say, well, having purgatory then would mean that Christ's work was not fully done, was not fully accomplished. Well, if that was true, that would mean everybody goes to heaven. If what you mean by Christ's work was fully accomplished on the cross is that you don't need to do anything, you don't even have to cooperate with that grace, then everybody would go to heaven. And we know that's not Christian teaching. Well, wait a minute, Father. I read in the Bible where it says that Christ did it all. Yes, he did. Well, then what are you saying? I'm, I'm confused. All right. Christ did it all on the cross. He did his part. But we got to cooperate with that grace. If we don't cooperate with that grace, if it didn't matter, then everybody would go to heaven. I don't have to cooperate with anything. I'm going to continue to live my life a sin. But I'm going to heaven because Christ did it all. This is not, that's heresy. All right, so St. <clears throat> Paul tells us, let's look at, next slide. First, or Colossians, first chapter 20, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill it up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Right there, Paul is saying there is something lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Whoa, where are our non-Catholics when this verse comes up? Christ did it all. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do atonement. You don't have to do reparation. You don't have to do anything. That's not what the Bible says. Paul tells us right there, there is something lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Whoa, what possibly could be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Your sufferings, your atonement, your reparation, your cooperation with that grace. Now, this is very important. That means that there is something that still needs to be done, not by Jesus, but by us, he merited the forgiveness of sins. But now we have to cooperate with that grace he merited. <clears throat> we have been forgiven of our sins by Christ on the cross, and that grace is given in the confessional. This is true. So now we can avoid hell and eternal punishment. We are now redeemed. Is every single human being who ever lived in this world redeemed? ever has lived, living now, or ever will live, are they all redeemed? Yes. But not everybody will be saved. Jesus talks about Gehenna and talks about the souls that will be thrown into the eternal fire. This is real. So how do we avoid it? This is important. Penances. 
Because in penances, you have sorrow, you have repentance, you have contrition, you have purpose of amendment. I don't want to do it again. Everything that we're told by Protestants that we have to do to be saved is done in penance, but yet they don't want to do penance. They say, some do, I, I shouldn't say this, but many criticize the Catholic faith for that. Jesus did it all. What are you saying? No, we have to cooperate. All right, so now Revelation, how do we know this? Because Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Has anyone here ever done anything shameful or deceitful? Anybody? Well, according to the Bible, then we're not getting into heaven. But yet, according to non-Catholics, everybody's going to heaven because Jesus did it all. How do you explain this difference? In other words, Jesus opened the door to heaven on the cross, but you got to walk through it. And part of walking through it is saying, I'm sorry, and let me make up for what I've done. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Jesus said, not just saying, Lord, Lord is enough. I don't know you. You have to not only say it, you have to show it. This is what Lent's about. This is what uh, penances are about. Now, we all fit into that category. We have all done something in our life shameful or deceitful. So how can we then get to heaven? Well, even if we are forgiven in that confessional and by Christ on the cross and the grace given in the confessional, a few things need to happen before you get to heaven. Do you think you're ready to go into heaven? Even if you've been forgiven of your sins in that confessional. All right, I committed adultery. All right, I committed adultery. I go to the confession. I'm truly sorry. I'm forgiven. But if I'm still attached to that, if I still can't wait for the next moment that I see that person so I can commit adultery again, I can't wait. All I think about night and day is this person. I don't think about God. I only think about being with this person. Do you think you're ready for heaven? You've been forgiven of your sin. You committed adultery. You've been forgiven of it. You ask God to forgive you, but you're still holding on to it. Jesus says you can commit adultery in your mind. So if this is the case, do you really feel you're ready to walk into heaven? This is no way. We got to be detached. That's what purgatory is about. Purgatory is not about the forgiveness of sins. Purgatory is about detaching from the sins you've already been forgiven of. This is why it makes biblical sense. And all non-Catholics attack purgatory, say, you're saying Jesus' forgiveness on the cross was not enough. No, we're not saying that. Forgiveness of Jesus on the cross was enough. But now we got to cooperate to be cleaned up. I could be forgiven, but not ready. That's why we have penances. At the same time, not only do we have to detach, all right, we, um, all right, so where was I here? <laughs> all right, so not only do I have to detach, all right, I have to be purified from past sin. Do you think that all I have to do is if I murdered 12 people, is just say I'm sorry, even to God? Yeah, that's the start. Now you'll avoid hell, but you still got a lot of cleaning up to do. 
You need to be purified. That's the other thing. And then you need to be prepared so that you don't do this again in the future. So you need to be detached of current sin, purified from past sin, and prepared to meet God and to live with him in purity to prevent future sin. Penance does all of this. But nobody's doing penance. I fail all the time. I try to fast two days a week. And I get through, you know, most of the day, like I made it all the way to like 10 o'clock at night last Friday. Fasted all the way through, then I cracked. And so it's okay. You just get back in the saddle. All right, so this is good stuff here. Now, yes, we were given, we received the grace of forgiveness in the confessional, but there's still consequences of past sins that we have to make amendment for. So detach from current sin, be purified from past sin, and prepared to be with God so you don't commit future sin. This is what purgatory is about. But you know you can avoid purgatory on this earth? Purgatory is a lot of suffering. You don't want to go there. Saints tell us, woo, try to get away from that. But you can. You can avoid purgatory by penance. Yes, we can do penance to make reparation for the sins that have already been forgiven by Jesus on the cross. Well, you said Jesus did it all. He did. He forgave you. That is doing his part. He did all of his part. But he's going to not make you cooperate with his grace. That's your part. Let's look at our next slide. That's why in the confessional, the priest gives you a penance, even though you've been forgiven. Why didn't the priest just say, you're forgiven? Go ahead, go do whatever you want. No. Priest gives you a penance. So we need to do satisfaction for the negative effect our sins have had on the world. You know, along with forgiveness, penances prepare us for heaven. Because again, you could be forgiven and not ready for heaven. Non-Catholics miss this point. They think once you're forgiven, you're totally ready to walk into heaven. I've been forgiven of impatience, of, of, of gluttony, but I'm still attached. I still get impatience. I still have gluttony. So I know I got to do purgatory time or do penance to purify from that while here on earth. Powerful stuff. So anyway, um, penances can help us prepare for heaven. So what are they? What, what do I mean, Father? What do you mean you keep talking about penances? All right, the catechism says we must repent for sin and as far as possible, make reparation to the divine justice. How do we do that? All right, there's two forms, all right? You can do, all right, here's what's interesting. You can do things that you don't like, or you cannot do things you do like. Now, Father, that sounds stupid. Hang with me because it's very powerful. All right. All right. So what do I mean you could do things you don't like? All right. Try taking even 30 seconds of a cold shower on a winter morning. Man, if you wake up with any impure thoughts or anything like that, cold shower will straighten you out in a hurry. And man, it'll wake you up. So do things you don't like doing, like taking a cold shower. Then you give up things that you like. I love soda. I'm from Detroit, especially Fago. That's like my favorite thing in the whole world. 
but I'm not going to drink any of it during Lent. So you give up something that you like. Now, this doesn't make sense, Father. Why do we do this? God created us to enjoy things. Hang with us. All right, we surrender our will, okay? So God can fill us. We, get, we, we empty ourselves of ourselves. It's like Cana, remember? Cana, the whole story of Cana is emptying your jar so that God can fill you with the holy wine, the wine of the Holy Spirit. Denying myself something good that isn't even sinful makes no sense to 95% of Catholics. But when you empty yourself of yourself, even if it's not sinful, you have more room for God to fill you. This is what's going on. If we can't say no to something or someone, we are enslaved to it. Even Fago soda pop. <laughs> All right. If I absolutely, cameraman Giuseppe loves Mountain Dew. That's his favorite thing in the world is Mountain Dew. At one point he said, I just can't say no to it. Well, that's enslavement. Now he's doing really good through of all your prayers. People out there are praying for cameraman Giuseppe. Now he's doing really good. I haven't seen a Mountain Dew in his office in months. So this is the point is we, we break our enslavements, even to the senses or the appetites. If I absolutely cannot say no to a cigarette, I'm enslaved to it. If I can't say no to a person, every single night my boyfriend comes over, he wants to have sex. I can't say no to him. I can't say no. I'm enslaved to it. So if we can do these penances, we can do that. We exercise freedom. To, in order to exercise true freedom, you have to be able to say yes or no to something. If you're never allowed to say yes, you don't have freedom either. If you're never allowed to say no, you don't have freedom. You, true freedom is being able to say yes or no. And if I'm enslaved to Fega soda or cigarettes or alcohol or pornography or drugs or whatever it is, I'm enslaved to it. And the biggest thing Christ gave to the world when he came was break the enslavement. I'm here to break the chains. This is why Christ came. All right, so to exercise freedom, you have to be able to say yes or no to both good and evil. People say, well, why would I say no to good or yes to evil? The whole point is you have to have the freedom to say both. That's why God doesn't stop us from saying yes to evil because it would take away our freedom. I had somebody write me, says, this, this is crazy. Why would God ever allow evil. He can't be a good God because then we wouldn't have freedom. With freedom, I have the ability to say yes or no to good, and I have the ability to say yes or no to evil. If I can't say yes or no to anything, I'm enslaved to it. If I can't say no to the evil of whatever it is tempting me, I'm enslaved to it. Like I said, pornography or drugs or whatever it is. And so this is what's really important. Um, if you can't say no, then you have to say, this is the time to do penance. That's how I learned to say no with the little things so that I can then say no to the, the, the sin that's killing me. And when you do it on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, you got an extra grace because you're being obedient to the church. 
On that day, the church says, fast and abstain from meat. I see no value to that, Father. Do you know how much grace there is in the value of being obedient to Christ through his church? And the church asks us not to eat meat and to fast on that day. You get so many graces by just being obedient. All right? It's also, when you do it, a sacrifice for God, not for yourself. Because he can use that to save souls. Then all of a sudden, you become a mini co-redeemer. When you fast, you are sharing in the cross of Christ. You're on the cross with Christ. Man, if you've ever fasted more than one day, only a couple times in my life have I fasted multiple days. I tell you, you are on that cross. But you know what's ironic about it? Once I got through the first day, I was shocked that second day was actually easier. It was the weirdest thing. That first day is the killer. In fact, it's the first eight hours. Once I can get first the, past the first eight hours, I seem to sail through. Now, the other night, Friday, I broke down late. But once I got into that second day, because usually we have a Paschal fast on the, the, uh, between um, Ash, or, uh, Good Friday and the vigil. That's a tradition in the church. So it's multi-days of fast. Now, here's what the thing is. You're being a mini co-redeemer. That is why Jesus said some demons, are you struggling with the demon of alcohol? Are you struggling with the demon of thievery? Are you struggling with the demon of lying? Are you stealing with, dealing with the demon of unforgiveness? Jesus says some of these demons only come out through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. But do you know, giving up something for Lent, though, is actually, as I said, not mandatory. By denying ourselves, though, which is a good practice, what we enjoy, we discipline our wills so we aren't enslaved to our pleasures, as we just said. Just as, listen to this, just as overindulging in the pleasure of eating leads to physical flabbiness, overindulging in pleasure in general leads to spiritual flabbiness. I tell you, it's one of the hardest things for me because I do comfort eating. You know, I'm late in the office one night. I, I just do it. But training ourselves to resist temptations when they are not sinful, because eating is not sinful. We train ourselves to reject temptations that will come that are sinful. In other words, you're training. You're like Rocky. You're training. Remember um, Karate Kid? Remember Karate Kid that he wanted to train to be this karate guy and Magali, what's his name? Not Magali. That's one of the employees who works for me. Magagi, uh, Miyagi, Miyagi. Makes him go like this in the paint with the fence. And he's like, what the heck am I doing? This is of no value. He's painting the fence up and down and up and down. And then when he got into the fight and punches were being thrown and he's got punches being thrown at him, he's going, He's deflecting those punches. It was that wax on, wax off, or then he went like this. That was the wax on. This was the wax off. And then he was doing this to deflect the, 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 the shots. It was something you didn't think. It was practice. This is what's going on here. And so we also express our sorrow when we give up something um, for having not resisted past temptations. So I can give up something in Lent as a way, a sorrowful way to say, Lord, I'm sorry for all the times I didn't give that up. There are few better ways to keep our priorities straight 
than by denying ourselves things of lesser priority to show us that they are not necessary in life, that we can focus on what is necessary, God. But you know, I got to be careful here. You can deny yourself too much. The church teaches we can deny ourselves too many pleasures. God made human life contingent on certain goods, such as food, and to refuse to enjoy enough of it can be harmful and even damage your body. Don't go overboard with this. Please. It's God's gift. If we deny ourselves too much, it may deprive us of goods that God gave us in order that we might praise him. And then it prohibits us from being effective in ministry, for instance. It can also be the sin of ingratitude by refusing to enjoy the things God wanted you to have. All right, for instance, I told the thing before I was with a postulant brother, a novice brother, and we're supposed to, we were supposed to fast. Our superior wanted us to fast, brother, Father Mark. And somehow we went out to Brookville and we did something that we were invited over to somebody's house and they had a surprise and it was on a Friday, not during Lent, but we don't eat meat on Fridays here. Every Friday during the whole year. Did you know that? Did you know that we are actually required by the church to abstain from meat every Friday, not just Fridays in Lent, but every Friday of the year, the entire year. Did you know that? Father, I've never heard that. Well, okay. The USCCB has come in and says that you can give up something else now, that you can eat meat on Fridays outside of Lent, but you have to give up something else. It is a day of penance. That's not changed. Fridays are still a day of penance every day of the year. Every day of the year, Fridays are a day of penance. So we are supposed to give up meat. Now, again, the USCCB has said, if you choose to eat meat, then you got to give something else, like a TV show or a dessert or something. But don't overdo this. Charity and love is the king. So we went over to this house and this woman surprisingly cooked us a beautiful dinner. And it included meat. And one of our Marians just kind of went like this and said, sorry, I can't eat that. So I talked to my superior. He's like, absolutely you eat that. You eat that. So do not become self-righteous. Do not become overboard with this or scrupulous. To sit there and a woman that, that would do all that love to prepare that dinner that included meat and for him to go like this and say, I'm not eating that. It's Friday. I have to be holy. Well, you just shot your holiness because the lack of charity that you showed to that person. How beautiful when we could say, deny ourselves even what we want to do, even at the sake of what we think is our own holiness for the love of that woman. Now, parents, um, you know, um, uh, if, a, if a child refused every gift the parent gave them, wouldn't you start to think, well, there's something wrong here. It would displease you. If you went through it, you stood in line and bought the newest toy or whatever these things are, you know, and you got home and your child rejected it, you'd be displeased. So God doesn't want you rejecting all his gifts. This is not the heresy of Jansenism where everything's bad and we give up everything. We don't touch anything. Everything's evil. Uh-uh, uh-uh. So keep it in perspective. All right, so what do we give up? All right, all right. So in recent years, Catholics luckily have been going to more 
doing good things rather than avoiding things. Now, it's still good to avoid. It's still good to do self-denial. We need to do that. But Catholics are now giving more self-giving penances. All right, what do I mean by this? Let's look at our next slide. All right, our next slide, <clears throat> what is this? The works of mercy. Those, I'm not going to read them all, but you can look at your works of mercy. They're doing more prayers for people, visiting them the sick, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, or on the spiritual side, counseling the doubtful, admonishing the sinner. These are all works of mercy. So you can pray for someone. You can visit them in the sick. You can do more spiritual if you can't do the physical. Remember, join with me every day to do a work of mercy. And on Friday, a day of penance. Remember that? We've been saying that now for months. Every day, do a work of mercy. And on Fridays, do a work of penance. Powerful. Or even to fast from sin. Now, be careful with this one, though. I had a priest once in the confessional tell me, I want you to fast from sin. That's good in one sense. Yes, you want to avoid Vices like unkindness or, or impurity. But be careful because fasting always has an end that you can enjoy something later. So you don't want to say, well, you know what? Um, I'm going to fast from uh, being with my girlfriend or boyfriend for the next 40 days. But boy, after that, we are going to celebrate. Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Okay, so be careful. Now, prayer and works of mercy, all right, like almsgiving, are both wonderful and necessary Lenten practices. All right, however, if we do them and we practice self-denial of things, even if they are good, if we do not practice these things, if we do them for the wrong reason, we miss the point. All right. If we do not practice self-denial of things that are good, we miss the point of Lent. If we practice them for the wrong reason, we miss the point of Lent. People don't get up. They, have, they see avoiding things that are bad, but they don't see the purpose of avoiding things that are good. This is the point of Lent. Jesus engaged in rigorous self-denial of good things like food when he fasted in the desert for 40 days. This has been done for 2,000 years, all right? Also, in neglecting to fast, listen to this. I read this in the church fathers. The, 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 in neglecting to fast, we are unintentionally feeding the beast. Oh. One of the effects of the fall in the garden is an inordinate love of ourselves that allows our appetites to run amok. Not just, not just food. Our appetites for pleasure, sloth, comfort, pleasure, lust, whatever those might be. One of the purposes of the season of Lent is to t attack this inordinate love of self. I've said this before. Everybody I know has heard this, but it's so worth saying again. I rarely hear the first commandment confessed that I broke the first commandment. Oh, I don't worship Buddha. I don't worship Allah. I'm not guilty of the first commandment. Yes, we are. If we put food, money, power, sex, if we put anything ahead of God, that's why we take, you've heard me say this, we take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. 
Why poverty? To overcome the God of the world of money. Why chastity? To overcome the God of the world of sex. Why obedience? To overcome the God of the world of power. Right now, it's all about power. Just look in the Ukraine. It's, it's all about power. The thing is, we make ourselves God. And when we make ourselves God, we have violated the first commandment. Because we were seeking what we want, our will. So we could have, like I said, money, sex, or power could be our God, or worst of all, ourselves. I'm on the throne. I don't care what the Catholic Church teaches. I make up my own truth. I am doing this because I don't agree with the church. Now you have broken the first commandment. You've made yourself God. So this is what we are talking about. Now, Paul says to put away the old self. To allow it to exist is foolishness. We must declare war on it, he said. So we put our old self to death. How? By penance. Mortification. Mortification comes from the words mortem and faciere. Together they mean to bring about death. This is why death to ourselves. It consists in the practice of denial of the lower things and the desire for sensual pleasure to be able to open ourselves up to receive the bigger things. To mortify ourselves brings freedom. I can say yes or no to it. You know, it's funny when people ask me, Father, is this sinful or is that sinful? As long as you can say yes or no to it, it's not sinful. Father, is watching football necessarily sinful? If it becomes your God and it's all you do and you'll miss mass for it, yeah. All right, so to be clear, practicing penance, though, is not an end in of itself. This is where the Protestants nail us. And they say, you think you're going to work your way into heaven? No, the penance is not an end in of itself. The church does not just prescribe penance because it's sadistic. It does it for two reasons. Listen to this. One, it reminds us of our own weakness to recognize that I messed up my own sinfulness. All right. Our lack of self-sufficiency and our dependence on God. That's first. Second is that it's a meaningful Lenten observance that makes Easter even that much greater of a celebration. Isn't it called absence makes the heart grow fonder? You know, one of the toughest times in my life is when I'm separated from somebody that I really care about. But man, when you see them versus seeing them every single day, it really makes you say, wow, praise be to God. When Lent is over then, it's a time of glory. We consume those good things that we've gone without. Now, don't overdo it. Okay, so I'm not going to drink three cases of Fago soda. <laughs> you know, come Easter. <laughs> All right. So scripture describes heaven as a banquet. Matthew 22, and a wedding feast. Matthew 25, devoid of hunger. You'll have no more hunger. All right, so penance is what Lent is all about so it can prepare us for the joy of the resurrection. Good stuff. All right, so let's go on to our next slide. The tradition in Lent is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Okay, the Jews considered these three things the main cardinal works of mercy. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. All right, what is it? 
All right, prayer, you know, I'm not gonna go into there. I have a whole talk. It's got over a million views now on YouTube, how to pray. So instead of talking about that here, I'll just direct you there. Go to the video, how to pray um, by myself. So A-L-A-R, my last name. And you'll see that video on how to pray. Again, it's already got over a million hits. Please watch it for this Lent if you can. Now, the Jews consider these the three big, and those are in the Bible, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. All right, so we know about prayer. You can watch that video. But fasting is also mentioned along with prayer and almsgiving. Fasting is critically important. Now, by fasting, we are controlling the passions of the body, and then we free our souls to pray more. So fasting actually opens up the door to prayer. And guess what else? When you refrain from eating and spending the money on all that food, you have money now to give to the poor. So actually fasting paves the way for prayer and almsgiving. And what's the most important of all of those? Almsgiving. That is the most important. All right, let's keep going. We're moving good here. I got to keep going. Um, Lent, do you know Lent ends up being 10% of the calendar year? It's a perfect tithe. People ask, Father, do Catholics have to tithe 10% of their gross income? Well, you tithe what you are able. And if you really want to be literal, you want to do 10%, tithing can be in time, treasure, or talent. You can tithe your time, your money, or your gifts, your talents. Now is the perfect time. Lent is 10%. 10% of the time of the calendar year. Give that 10% to God. Now you've tithed the time. The church calls us to practice all three together, especially during Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Christians that are seen to be doing good works, however, don't do them just to be seen. Jesus warns about this in the Bible. All right, you must do the good works for the purpose of God. Like I've always said, when you fast, if you're only doing it to lose weight, eh, Almsgiving, if you're giving a donation to the church, but you only want your picture in the, in the bulletin. And, all right, if you are praying, but your prayers go like this, Lord, please change my husband. He's got this problem, this problem, this problem. And that's your prayer. And so we have to be careful that we do these in the right way. All right, God says you'll get your reward. Don't seek being seen here. Don't seek being seen to your, your praying just to appear to be holy. Pray when only the Father in private sees you. But it's good. It's a good public witness. All right. It's a very good public witness. All right. So, but our reward will be in heaven. Now, Christ's warning is sometimes that we can do right things with the wrong intention. All right. So this is important. Um, are you, you know, it's funny because Jesus said, if you do these things, to show your own greatness or your own piety, you'll be rewarded on this earth by the respect of men. But you won't be respected by God. That's a wake up. All right, to give alms should be only to be given for God. Um, you know, when we, when we do this, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, we do it the right way, can actually not only forgive the sin if you have perfect contrition, but it can already relieved all the temporal punishment that is due to sins that you've already confessed. So if you've already confessed your sins, you want to relieve purgatory time, you do penance. 
And one of the best ways to do penance is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. You know, the almsgiving that gets us to heaven is when it's anonymous. That's hard. Every one of us likes to be recognized in some way if we do something good. You know, what's funny is um, not knowing the giver, not knowing that you're the one who gave it. That's hard. You know, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis would actually drop money behind them so they couldn't see who picked it up. Sometimes, though, we give and we act like it was out of love, but it was really for recognition. Do you know the word in Greek for hypocrite means actor? Actor. The word in Greek for hypocrite means actor. How many of us at one time or another have been an actor? Pretending that we're sorry or pretending to do something just so that we can get recognized. Be careful. We don't want to glorify ourselves it's to glorify God and nothing greater to do that than anonymously. Many times people give and get a feeling of superiority. I remember I had this argument with my dad. You know, and, and, and so, you know, people will give and say, boy, did I really help that person? They owe me so much. Eh. You're just a steward. We don't own that money. God does. You know what's funny? is when you help somebody and you give to them, actually, they've helped you more than you've helped them. Don't feel superior. Oh boy, aren't they lucky that I was around. I, you know, they, you know, they didn't have me around. They'd really be in a pickle. Well, they helped you more than you helped them because their need and their, their uh, uh, position where they needed help gave you the chance to be charitable. And that charity is what's going to get you to heaven. So they actually got you to do a greater thing in an act of charity that you will help you to get to heaven if you do it genuinely than you help them by giving them a, a plate of food. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it's true. All right. However, the poor actually are giving you more in return, a chance to be charitable and merciful. True almsgiving, true almsgiving, the real kind of almsgiving is giving up something that we want or that we need rather than out of our surplus. So if the millionaire goes into the church pew and writes out his $10 check, ah, yeah, look at that. I gave to the church. Millionaire giving out of his $10 out of his, out of his thing. That's, that's not a sacrifice. That's a surplus. Doesn't have as much merit, but you could give something even if you don't have a dollar your time, your talents. You can give those to God. I think of Brother Mark and Brother Ken. I think of Mary sitting here in the front row with her ability to cook. She feeds us Marians. I think of Brother Ken that every single day gives his talent sitting up there playing for the glory of God in the, in the liturgy. I think of Brother Mark, the hours that he has spent trying to set us up so that we can even be broadcasting this to you right now. Nobody else is able to do what brother Mark does. Nobody else is able to do. We have a few brothers, but nobody's good as brother Ken. So they give of their talents. They don't have to give money. Heck, they don't have any. <laughs> so, so they don't have any money. 
They don't have to give their money. They're giving something that's pure to them. They have that talent. He has that talent to be able to sing beautifully and to be able to play the organ. He gives of that to God for the glory of God. That's what Brother Kent does. Brother Mark has the ability and the talent and the, and the technology to be able to get us up to the world. That's what he gives. And so this is what it's about. Each person can give in a different way. If you're not sure what I can give, talk to your confessor. Together with your confessor, you can decide what you should do to give. Now, let's keep going. Let's talk about fasting. This is very important. Fasting and abstinence. All right. Food is not bad. I've said this. I love it. We need it. I eat it. <laughs> I, I do. All right. But giving up good things helps us to focus on the better, which is God, as I said. Okay. Now, it is a way to give up lesser goods to attain higher goods. I said that. But all days in Lent are appropriate for fasting, even though we're only required to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Okay. But canon law does not make you fast any other days but two. And you know what's interesting? Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, the only two days that we have to fast all year are both fasting and abstinence, meaning we give up meat. I always used to hear that when I was a teenager. I thought abstinence meant giving up sexual relations. Now, it does, but you know, I'm a teenager in high school saying, okay, they say that you have to be 14 years old, you know, giving up sexual relations at 14. No, it's abstinence from meat. Abstinence from meat. All right, now the, the priests used to give abstinence from relations even with their wives at certain times of the year too. Now, here's what's interesting. These two days of the year, okay, who is required to fast? Every person age 18 to 59. My dad's funny. After he turned 59, he's like, whoa, I don't have to fast anymore. I'm like, dad, you really didn't fast that much before. <laughs> so, so, so 18 to 59, every person. Now, medically, if you are unable to fast, please know the church does not make you jeopardize your health if you are a diabetic. Like my mom, she had to carry when she was able to move around. She's now bedridden. But when she'd carry around, she used to have a purse full of candy bars and stuff like that but to regulate her blood sugar. No, the church is not condemning you for that. That is not sinful. Okay. All right. Now, what about abstinence? Who has to avoid meat? Everybody age 14 and over. All right. But it's not as hard as you think. Fasting is only, well, I'll get to that. What, what's required of fasting? But let's talk about abstinence a little bit. Most people know that we don't eat meat on Fridays in Lent, but even this is disappearing. I mean, I go, I remember I was traveling last, um, no, it was actually before COVID. I'm sorry. It was a couple years ago. And they had a search, a church social in the basement. And this was a Catholic church. I'm just a guest, so I, I really didn't feel it was my place to say anything. And the church social had all the pizza filled with meat lovers. Pepperoni and sausage and ham. Don't get me wrong, I love that stuff. But this is a Catholic church on a Friday. I'm like, what? And so most people know that not eating meat on Fridays and Lent is wrong, but even that is disappearing. All right? 
as I said before, all Fridays are a day of penance, so we're not supposed to eat meat, but you can give up something else. We talked about that, but you know what you can eat that's actually flesh? Fish. Why can we eat the flesh of a fish, but not the flesh of a chicken? Because the fish is the symbol of Christ. Fish is a symbol of Christ. Fish is really a flesh. It's like a meat. But we can eat it because it's a symbol of Christ. Now, Fridays are abstinence. Why? Why do we avoid meat? Because Jesus died for our sins on a Friday, making it a specially appropriate day to mourn our sins and deny ourselves as something we enjoy. Likewise, Sunday we don't fast or abstain. Why? Because it's a day he rose, so it's a day of rejoice, celebration. That's why even in Lent, on Sundays, we can enjoy what we want. Now, don't overdo it. Now, with fasting, you will feel deprived, but it'll help you lead an authentic life of Lent. This, now, what does it mean to fast? Okay. Fasting isn't really that hard. You know what it is the church defines as a fast? Now, there's many different fasts you can do. If you go online, you can find the intermittent fasting. For health reasons, it, it even helps. There's two forms of intermittent fasting that I've tried. One is where you pick an eight-hour chunk of the day, and you eat whatever you want in that eight hours, but I, outside that eight hours, you don't eat anything. So you pick like 10 to 6, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. In that chunk, I can eat whatever I want. But outside that chunk, I'm not eating anything. The, the, the rewards to the body and the spirit are tremendous. Now that goes every day though. That's a little hard. So I picked the 5-2 plan. Have you ever heard of that? 5-2. You can look it up on the internet. Five days a week, you can eat anything you want, whenever you want. But two days a week, you fast. You take those two days and you reduce your calorie intake to like 300, 400 calories. So I took that to see this is perfect because the church tradition is to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Some it's been Tuesdays. I do Tuesdays because in case I miss it, then I do the Wednesday. And then if I, I, I pick Friday and if I miss Friday, then I try to do it on Saturday. So I have a backup plan. But the 5-2 plan is you eat what you want on five days a week, but you pick two days a week and you don't. You reduce your calorie intake tremendously. Again, please let me emphasize. Please let me repeat. And I've got some people here as witnesses. I am not saying you have to do this if your heart uh, or body or your medical condition doesn't allow it. We're not saying this. The church is not teaching this. This is if you want to grow in spiritual life and you are able. My mom can't do this because of her diabetes. Many of you cannot. All right, so this is important. So what is a fast? A fast on the traditional sense of the church is one sensible meal and two snacks that don't equal a full meal. Two days a year, barring any medical problems, two days a year, not that difficult. Not that difficult. One meal and two snacks or two smaller meals that together don't equal the size of a regular meal. Not that hard. 
again, if you are physically able. All right. Now, parents, are you required to make your kids fast? If they are under 18, no. So no, children at 18 is an adult. So technically, you are not required to make your children fast. Because after 18, when the church says you have to fast, they're no longer children. But you are obligated to teach them about the need for spiritual fasting. Giving up things that are not food-related. Pastors, you can dispense somebody with medical problems. If you have a medical problem, you just simply ask your pastor, Father, I really need a dispensation from fasting on Ash Wednesday. My diabetes is flaring, and I really need that. All right? Or even abstinence if you need meat for a particular reason. All right, getting near here. All right, if you can't fast, as we said, for medical reasons, you can avoid other things. One of the best things you can avoid if you can't fast is the condiments. You know, condiments offer almost no nutritional value. Mustard, ketchup. I was shocked to learn how much sugar is in ketchup. Salt, mustard, ketchup, salt. These are things that you could give up. If you can't fast for the medical reason, I guarantee you, you're not, your life does not depend on the condiments. Right? We can give up flavoring and just eat a straight meal, steak without A1. <laughs> I'm not going to die without the A1 on my steak. I might think so. You know, most all religions and ancient philosophers practice fasting, not just Catholics. By fasting, we, as we said, we are controlling the passions of the body and then we're free we're free. We free our souls for more prayer. So refraining from food can help bring our bodies under the control of our spirits. And that's what Paul said. Purpose of fasting is that the spirit controls the flesh, not the flesh controls the spirit. Why is this important? Because the Bible says, if you live by the flesh, you will die. If you live by the spirit, you will live. So you got to do something to make that spirit in charge, not the flesh. Who is your, are you listening to, your flesh or your spirit? All right. It is also a way of doing penance for past sins. So the church recommends it. The fast on Good Friday, as I said before, may be continued all the way to the Easter vigil. This is when Lent ends. All right. This is called the Paschal fast to honor the suffering and death of Jesus, his sacrifice. But again, medically, if you're able. Now, the Holy Father said, this is really interesting, that fasting, one of the reasons we do it is it helps us become or overcome our indifference for those who go without, who don't have food, home, or, or whatever. He said, we show no interest in their lives, their stories, their needs, or their future. The Holy Father said, how many times did their pleading faces make us look the other way as we walked by? When we get used to something, we become indifferent. So fasting can overcome that. We can build solidarity. All right? But again, don't lose the purpose of fasting. I always, I always pick on cameraman Giuseppe, and I always bring up stories of my dad, and, and I love them both very tremendously, so don't get me wrong. But my dad tells this story when he was a kid, and technically he didn't have to fast as a kid because he was under 18. I think it was like 13, 14, and he had a paper route. 
God bless his efforts, but there was an old man who ran a hamburger stand in Monroe, Michigan. And my dad took the money from his paper route. And he said he had the best hamburger, big Bermuda onion, and it's the best hamburger you ever had in your life. So my dad was working his paper route, took the money from his paper route and bought himself this hamburger. He said he was racing home, mouth salivating, you know, he was starving. He raced into the house and he sat down and his mom, my grandma said, uh-uh, it's Friday in Lent. My dad said he waited up looking at that hamburger till the clock struck midnight. <laughs> and then he gobbled that hamburger down. Okay. If that's six hours between the evening and the midnight, you're just sitting there staring at that hamburger as your main focus, you're kind of missing the point. All right. So don't kind of fall into that trap, although A for effort, right? Praise be to God. You got to imagine God is still smiling, still smiling at that effort. I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. All right. So real quick here. All right. So, um, this is the point here. Um, don't lose the purpose. Um, you know, in early centuries, Christian fasted, as we said on Wednesdays and Fridays, not just Wednesdays and Fridays, but all year long. The church does set some guidelines as a minimum, but you're free to do more if you are able why do we do this? Look at Daniel. I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no food. I ate no choice food. No meat or no wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. It was a period of fasting. The gospel message is one of self-denial and detachment for the things that consume us. All right, so we can become so attached that even the beauty of the world and things in our lives become our gods. This is shocking to people, but one of the most common is child worship. Worshiping your own children that you put them ahead of God in terms of discipline or teaching of the faith that they don't want to, they don't care, they don't want to go to church. And okay, you don't have to go, Junior. You don't have to. Well, no, as part of our family, you don't force them to go. You invite them and say, this is part of our family. And so we don't want to be worshiping things of the world. Even, even people, even people. Ironically, this is where fasting and ab abstinence help us to become more satisfied. We empty ourselves, God fills us. For God alone, not the things of the world, can fill our hunger. Now, I want to real quick, we've only got uh, one page left, so it's going to be real quick. Now, I'm going to show a quick video. Brother Mark's going to show a video on fasting. It's, it's only a couple minutes so watch this video, and then when we come back, we'll wrap up. We're pretty close to being done. Thank you. Let's watch this video. Thank you. 
Okay, so some really good points there about fasting. Now let's finish with Ash Wednesday. This is coming up next week. And even if you're watching this video at another time, later date, it's good to know what we have in our faith about Ash Wednesday. Now, as we said, Ash Wednesday starts 46 days, not 40, uh, before Easter. And um, because 40 fast days and then the six Sundays. All right. But it actually comes from the ancient Jewish tradition of penance and fasting. Why? All right. Look at the Bible. Job. Remember, he repented in sackcloth and ashes. Nineveh, at the warning of Jonah, repented in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus even mentioned this. Jesus even mentioned ashes. He said, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Even our Lord talks about this. Let's look at our next slide, if Brother Mark didn't put it up already. Ash Wednesday. There's the traditional, we Catholics see it as the ashes on the forehead. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Why do we have these ashes? Because they symbolize the dust from which God made us. It's not a sacrament, it's a sacramental, like a rosary. It's a symbol of our faith. The sacrament is not a symbol. A sacrament is actual grace, real grace. A sacramental is a symbol of. So the ashes are a symbol of the grace that you're receiving. So our foreheads are marked with these ashes to remind us that life passes away here on earth. Remember Genesis? Man is dust and until dust you shall return. So this was first called Ash Wednesday way back over a thousand years ago by Pope Urban II. And it went even before that. We have writings from the second century church that refer to wearing ashes as a sign of penance. Now, Christ himself spent 40 days fasting in the desert. Moses spent 40 days to repent for the golden calf. And it follows the example of the Ninevites who did penance in sackcloth and ashes. All right, so later in Christianity, people who had committed grave faults had to do, boy, we have it much easier today. We can do it privately. Back in the early church, if you committed a grave sin, you had to do public penance. Kind of like the scarlet letter, right? With the big A for adulterer. But basically, what would happen is on Ash Wednesday, the bishop would sprinkle ashes. Every year, the ashes are made from burning the palms the year before, right? 
And uh, the penitents were removed from the church because of their sins. Can you imagine doing that today? Oh my gosh. We're even giving communion to wayward public sinners. So the penitents were removed from the church because of their sins. Why? Why were they removed from the church? It was like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first parents, were thrown out of the garden because of disobedience. So Adam and Eve being removed from the garden was symbolic when the, when the people were removed from the church. There wasn't no cry of how horrible that was. They knew it was for their own salvation. They wanted to do that penance. And the penitents did not enter the church again until after 40 days of penance and doing going to confession. Last few paragraphs. Today, we're not that tough. Even non-Christians and the excommunicated, surprisingly, are welcome to receive the ashes. Why? Again, because it's not a sacrament. It's a sacramental. They can be traced on the forehead, as we do in America, or sprinkled on the head. Actually, that's more traditional. Sprinkling the ashes on the head is more traditional. Um, and in fact, some dioceses are mandating it for because of COVID. That the ashes, you may get them sprinkled on your head again this year. All right. Now, the Catholic Church does not limit, though, the distribution of the blessed, blessed ashes to within churches. Some priests take them out to the streets. And you can even... You can even have a non-priest distribute these ashes. So it's not as restrictive as you think, but it's not really appropriate if you got them on to go out and shop and recreate um, after receiving the ashes. It's really probably better in those cases uh, to, to wipe them off. But it's also not required for one to keep them or not keep them. All right. They may be washed off, as I said. It's probably more appropriate if you're going out and doing something. Like, who wants to see a guy at the bar swearing at the television because his sports team is losing with a big set of ashes on his forehead? That's probably not a good witness. So in those cases, first of all, don't do that. But if you do do that, wipe off, wipe off the ashes. All right. That is why many places the ashes, as I said, are sprinkled on the head, so you can avoid that. All right, last couple slides. Here's a picture of some pancakes. Why in the world am I showing us some pictures of some pancakes? It's what we call Shrove Tuesday. This is the day before Ash Wednesday. Now all we hear about is Fat Tuesday because of Mardi Gras. But actually, there's a deeper meaning. The whole week before Lent used to be called Shrove Tide, and that is the English equivalent of Carnival. This is derived from the Latin words carnum and lavare, which means to take away the flesh. Interesting. Carnival means to take away the flesh. It's a preparation to remove it, not as indulgence of sin that we see in the world today. So let's look at our next slide. This is what Mardi Gras has become today. Isn't this ironic? Look at that slide. You got corporate sponsors here in Tata Capital. You've got public places like Six Flags endorsing the Mardi Gras Festival, which sometimes is filled with some crazy stuff, but yet even mention having a religious festival, and that really is religious in the wrong direction. 
but mention anything to do with Christianity or Easter or anything like that. Oh, no, we can't do that. But we can celebrate debauchery. Kind of ironic, kind of crazy. But anyway, um, in the United States, um, particularly Louisiana, we call it Mardi Gras. What is Mardi in French means Tuesday and Gras means great or fat or large. So Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. Now it's traditionally the day where we now, I worked in Detroit, where is a good Polish community in Hamtramck, right in the middle of Detroit. All these beautiful Polish people. And man, the lineups at the bakeries for the what they call punchkis, if I'm saying that right, Mary. Punchki? Okay. Punchki, punchki. And they would be lined up around the blocks. If you live in the Polish section of town anywhere, go get yourself some of these. They're wonderful. And that would be the day that you would indulge in those because then Lent, you would give it up. Now, this was seen as a last chance, you know, for overindulging or gluttony. But in some places, it became excessive. Um, and, you know, Shrovetide then was the time to cast off the flesh, but yet preparing, but yet down in places like Mardi Gras, they've come, become very, very sinful. So pray for those situations. Why do we call it Shrovetide? Well, to shrive meant to hear confessions and to give penance, not to the flesh, but to the spirit. Not to the flesh of the beads at Mardi Gras to flash and expose yourself, but rather to the penance of confession and self-sacrifice. All right, to highlight the point and the motive that the people wanted, they would wear special masks and they were performed, would, would, they would portray the passion of the Lord. This has all been demented now. Now it's demons and, you know, crazy things. Used to be originally masks portraying the passion of Christ. Now it's demons. And so the week of Shrovetide condoned proper pleasures from which a person could then abstain from during Lent, like maybe beer or punchkis, right? Um, now, to abstain from flesh, meat, and from all the things that come from the flesh is a tradition. So people don't realize this, that, that, that abstaining from meat wasn't just the meat, but meat byproducts. So do you know in the church when we would abstain from meat, it didn't include just meat, but milk, cheese, and eggs. In fact, in the Eastern Catholic Church, they still do that. And their days of abstaining, it's not just meat, but it's milk, cheese, and eggs, and, and meat byproducts. Boy, I didn't know that until I went to seminary. I'm like, man, I, I wolf that stuff down. Well, in the West, we're allowed to have those even on days of abstinence. So again, it's not that tough. This is why you see pancakes. So that pancake that I showed you on that slide that Brother Mark whipped up, it's because these were popular because people emptied their kitchen of meat byproducts like milk, cheese, and eggs. So you got pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. Kind of interesting stuff. Now the church allows this, these meat byproducts here in the West during days of abstinence. But again, the East does not. So why, oh, one little side note on the egg. Why do we have Easter eggs at Easter? Because the egg, the Easter egg symbolized the shell, like the tomb being cracked open and new life coming out of it. The little baby chick. So Easter eggs were symbols of Easter, the egg was, 
because the tomb cracked open and Jesus came out with new life, kind of symbolizing this little bitty chick in, in creation. All right, so last thing, and we're wrapping up here, Ash Wednesday, the joy of self-control. But doesn't that sound like an irony, the joy of self-control? <laughs> All right, to trick, I should say the trick to a happy Lent is to see it as a chance to make spiritual progress, to clean your house, get fit, do some good things. That's a good thing. We should see that with joy. The fasting, prayer, and self-denial, they're not the end in themselves. It's kind of like the cross that we Catholics teach. If that was all there was, if the cross was the end, why in the world would you rejoice? I'm not going to rejoice in the cross. I rejoice in what the cross leads to, the resurrection. And so prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is not the end in themselves to be sadistic or to be recognized for being virtuous. It's the joy of the resurrection that it leads to in Easter. This is very important. And they are like the exercises of an athlete. When an athlete exercises, that's not the end purpose, just to exercise. It's so that he can be better when it comes to competition. And trust me, we're going to face the competition of the evil one. We want to be ready. Or the artist who practices his talent so he can produce a beautiful painting. If we, and I want to finish with this last couple of points, if we can't control our stomach, our need for sex, alcohol, or even sleep, which are visible things, then how do we suppose we can control our emotions, our will, or our soul, which is invisible? You can't. We are body, mind, and spirit, and what we do with one affects the other. So if you don't keep control of the flesh, you're never going to have the spirit rule. The goal in Lent is confession and then make reparation for the sins that were forgiven. This is what we talked about in the whole first part of the talk, through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Then we are reconciled back to God. And when we are that, when we are in a state of grace, everything you pray and do and say is full of grace. You're out of a state of grace, nothing you do, pray, or say is effective. Now, right now, I believe, hopefully to God, I'm in a state of grace. So that means what I'm telling you is now full of grace. If I was up here not in a state of grace, the words wouldn't have that grace. And that's when our reputation and our reparation are at stake. Interesting, huh? Reparation can make a real difference. Everything you do is elevated by Jesus, by the grace of God. So ashes, ashes are important. Even non-Catholics can receive the ashes because again, they're a sacramental. They can even be given to infants. Did you know that? Because even the infants share in original sin. So fasting, it's a biblical discipline that is in both the Old and the New Testament. 
Christ expected his disciples to fast and issued instructions on how they should do so. Praise be to God. We thank you for joining us. But connected with Ash Wednesday and fasting, let's show our next slide. The Holy Father, if you haven't heard this, Pope Francis is said to make March 2nd, which is next Wednesday coming up, which is Ash Wednesday, a day of fasting for peace. Now we have to fast anyway. That's a day of fasting in the church. But he's saying, make it a fast for the day of peace. So let's pray for the Ukraine, the situation over there, that there may be peace between Russia and the Ukraine and the whole world. You know, look at our next slide. Jesus said, mankind will not have peace until he turns with trust to my divine mercy. You know, Jesus gave us this image that Brother Mark is showing. Praise be to God, through that image, Jesus promised that I will defeat your enemies. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't like Jim down the street and he's going to bury Jim because you don't like him parking, blocking your driveway. <laughs> what it means is your enemy, the evil one, sin, enslavement, he will defeat. Through that image. Get that image if you don't have it. I don't care where you get it, draw it. Have your child draw it if you have to. But as we said last week, and I'll throw this one last slide, or a couple last slides, Brother Mark can show. Um, you can get a beautiful image now that we make right here. Priests, brothers, seminarians, our employees, our staff. We make these beautiful canvas images right here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy. We have them in our gift shop for our visitors that you can go get these beautiful canvas images, especially get the divine mercy image to protect your home, to protect your loved ones. You can get it at divinemercyart.org or at shopmercy.org, either site. If one's down, you can go to the other or call us at 800-462-7426. Again, if you can't get it, with us, that's fine. Get it somewhere. Even if you just download it off the internet, we have those available too. So please join us, Marians, as we stand in this Lenten season as one big family. We're going to need to help each other up. You're never going to be able to get through something of penance without help. And we're going to help you and pray for you. So join our Marian family. And that is at micprayers.org. If you want a powerhouse of prayers being said for you and your family, become a Marian helper. There's no cost. It takes 10 seconds. Become a Marian helper. Join us in our army this Lent to pray for peace, to pray for each other. And most of all, pray that God's mercy. Know when you become a Marian helper, daily we do masses and prayers and penances for our Marian helpers. Share in that grace. You want to share in that grace. Father, why are you promoting this? Because I want as many souls to get to heaven. That's what I'm liable for. I will be judged as a priest on how many souls get to heaven that have been entrusted to me. And if you're watching this right now, you're being entrusted to the Marians. 
And our goal is to get you to heaven. I don't care if you donate a dollar. Now, if you can, God bless you. God puts the heart. That's how we survive. I mean, we need to keep the lights on. But if you can't, so be it. My goal is to get you to heaven. That's what I'll be judged on. That's what we want to do. Become a marrying helper. Share in these graces of so many beautiful ways, part of our marrying family that we stand together. So God bless all of you. Have a very fruitful Lent coming up next week. It starts on Wednesday and we hope to continue to see you here. And our Wednesday show on EWTN, which I didn't get even to touch on here, is about Ash Wednesday. So please join us at 6.30 Eastern time or 3.30 on the West Coast as we will be showing on EWTN Living Divine Mercy, a show right from here in Stockbridge. So catch it on EWTN. And if you miss it Wednesday night at 6.30 Eastern time, you can catch it on our website, livingdivinemercy.org. God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.